Welcome back, listeners, for Circulating Space's eighth episode, Performing Hip Hop, with our guest, Adi Carson. I'm Ankita Chakrabarti. And I'm Christian Howard. Circulating Spaces is a podcast dedicated to exploring what it means to engage with literature as a global community. Coming at you from the University of Virginia and the Public Humanities Lab, generously funded by the Institute of the Humanities and Global Cultures. Subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. So, as the semester has gotten underway, what's been going on with you, Christian? So, I'm working on a new DH project. Alyssa Collins, who's another English grad student here at UVA, and I are looking at Twitter data and trying to theorize a way to use Twitter data in literary research. So, otherwise, just uh, researching and writing the dissertation. So, how about you, Ankita? Just the usual grad student life of reading, writing, and teaching on repeat. Also doing a little bit of translation work on the side. And on that note, let's introduce our guest, A.D. Carson. Um, A.D. is an assistant professor in hip-hop and the Global South at the University of Virginia. He received his doctoral degree from Clemson University with his dissertation, a 34-song rap album, uh, garnering him inter- worldwide attention and acclaim uh, and we'll talk about that more in a bit. So, welcome, AD. Oh, hey, how's it going? Um, so, let's just jump right into the interview. Um, could you briefly tell us about your professional trajectory? Um, how did you launch your career? And how did you go from being a hip-hop artist to a professor of music? Uh, that's a great question. So, <clears throat> I mean, I guess that I would probably say that that I'm, I'm still a hip-hop artist. And I probably... I probably see myself more more as an artist than than anything else, and this that's probably problematic to say because there are uh, spaces in which that's probably not true. Um, so, I very early on in um, in school, but just in life, was always fascinated by poetry, by language, and by the ways that um, that information seems to be transmitted differently whenever we do construct it in such a way, you know, like uh, ways that rappers do now, but also ways that uh, poets might. Mm -hmm. Folks are attracted to rhyme and something happens when you rhyme for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and it's not just rhyme, but the ways that we decide to say whatever we're going to say has everything to do with the way that an audience is going to engage with those things. So knowing that uh, and experiencing that through much of elementary, middle, and high school, uh, I always saw myself as someone who wanted to continue to do that kind of work. As I went into my undergraduate study, I was interested in studying English and literature and education because those seemed to be the easiest ways for me to do that kind of work that I wanted to do. While I was doing that studying, I was also performing. Um, in fact, at some point during my undergraduate career, uh, I thought that it would probably be best that I leave the university so that I could focus solely on performing and writing music. Mm-hmm. So um, when it came time to graduate from from the undergraduate program, I found myself at this strange, uh, not really crossroads. Every time we were studying anything, uh, if it was Beowulf or if it was Shakespeare, or you know wh- whatever we were doing, even writing lesson plans, I always found a way to try to integrate the art that I was trying to make into what I was doing. But it always seemed like those products were outside of the, the quote-unquote real work that was being done. Mm-hmm. Same thing in my master's program. I thought the work 
could be done by me writing music, by the music that I was writing. And I felt that the work was being done, but the program asked for these very specific kinds of products. And so I had to do what the program asked. So by the time I got to the doctoral, uh, the doctoral program, um, I thought, well, if there's ever going to be a time that I'm going to uh, really insist that the work that I am doing and the work that is considered is that artistic production, it's now. And uh, there were some conditions that existed there at the university that uh, that made me start thinking thinking more than just you know what the music is doing or how the music could be you know so called academic, but also those ways that when we think about what is being said, how it's being said, uh, another really important aspect was who is doing the saying. And that had a lot to do with these questions that are outside of hip hop, these questions that are uh, even outside of just um, or that that are squarely inside of uh, a question that we think about with academic production or what is considered academic. But it also has a lot to do with how we deal with one another in the world. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was an incredibly important question at that particular time because we were dealing with and still are dealing with all of the things that are happening mm -hmm. in the world. And we know how much importance is placed on who is doing the same. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really fascinating. And I, I definitely want to touch more on uh, your career and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but first music is not my area of expertise. Nor <laughs> and I'm sure I'm going to sound really ignorant. Um, but could you like define hip hop? Like what exactly is hip hop? Is it different from rap music? Um, and how would you relate it to poetry as you've, you've just been talking about poetry a little bit too? So, Okay, so what I would say <clears throat> is that, I mean, a way that people have uh, defined the distinction between rap and hip hop is that rap is one of the products that come from hip hop culture. And so mm -hmm. if we think about uh, what DJs do and we think about what graffiti artists do and what uh, B-boys and B-girls do, um, those are all products of hip hop. And so these would be uh, components, um, elemental components of this broader uh, culture that we're calling hip hop and rap is just a byproduct of it. Okay, so mm -hmm. do you consider your music as rap music and you teach hip-hop the larger culture? I would I would say that. I think that that would be accurate. Um, but to say that I teach hip-hop is um, to, like, it. I think that it seems to gesture toward me doing much more than I actually do. Because to teach hip-hop would be, I mean, it would take a lot more than the 75 minutes I get two times sure. a week. Yeah. But I do try to do a lot of that work so that we are precise in using our language whenever we do talk about what is happening in a writing rap class. Right. And so we're not just talking about uh, the writing of raps, but we are talking about the ways that we come to understand uh, how rap fits into the larger hip hop uh, landscape and what the other what other artists have contributed mm -hmm. so that we aren't privileging this one product over all of the others without even considering that uh, that the the immense contributions of the DJs and of the dancers and of mm -hmm. certain entrepreneurs and um, and also journalists and scholars who have been also producing hip hop products. Yeah, very interesting. Um, any chance you could demo it for our um, listeners, or can we play a clip from your album? Oh yeah, you can certainly play a clip. Um, I have 
yeah, there's all kinds of stuff out there to um, to play. I'd be kind of struck. I mean, I always have something that I could probably say, but you know, I think that the <laughs> playing a clip would probably be more uh, illustrative of the kind of stuff that folks would get in my um, or that folks that that folks could expect from. Uh, my albums. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, yeah, we'll insert a, a clip later. If there's one in particular that you'd okay. like to send us, that yeah. would be great. Yeah. Um, and could you like maybe give us a brief history of hip hop? Yeah, that's also pretty, pretty difficult. I think that yeah, I also, I think that question that you ask about, about, um, about poetry, uh, because I didn't answer that yeah. question, but <clears throat> the, so, of course, I think that rap and poetry are different. Mm -hmm. I think that it's really easy. The reason, one of the reasons I believe that people say that rap is poetry and that poetry is rap is to make, uh, to, to make uh, folks who don't see rap as valuable uh, understand it as being in relation to something that they might see as mm -hmm. valuable. And what I think is problematic about that is the fact that we we start at this inherent devaluing of rap in order to create um, a framework through which people can view rap as being, uh, quote unquote, legitimate as uh, something that we might study. Uh, so a productive way to think about it in my mind is that if we say rap is like poetry, that's kind of, you know, it's a simile. Mm -hmm. And they are not alike, but we are making a comparison. Mm -hmm. And then if we were to say rap is poetry or poetry is rap, then it's operating as a metaphor. And then mm -hmm. if we looked at that in that way, then it might create something that is productive as opposed to it being reductive in the way mm -hmm. that when we say rap is poetry reduces rap to only the ways that we look at poetry so that then we have to say that Kendrick Lamar is a poet in order to justify his Pulitzer Prize mm -hmm. when we shouldn't have to do that. Kendrick Lamar is a phenomenal artist who has created art that has influenced and impact pe impacted people in very profound ways. Yeah. So we don't have to compare him to other artists who are doing very different art in order to understand him as being an impactful and um, prolific, uh, you know, very influential artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Um, so going back to your question about, like, our question about your career trajectory, uh, why grad school and why academia in particular? I mean, I think it's a very interesting question for most of us, like grad students now, uh, we sort of feel at certain stages that we need to justify why, why are we doing this? Like, why do we want to be in academia and not somewhere else? So what would be your response to that? Yeah, I, well, a part of it has to do with who gets to be considered an expert? Mm -hmm. yeah. And at some point, if, and this has been happening for a really long time, that time when I was in uh, doing my undergraduate study, uh, even in my master's program, and in the professional world, there were always people who were considered experts because they had these degrees doing something that, in my mind, for good or bad, felt like the obligatory work to become legitimate in the eyes of other folks. Right, yeah. And so you would have hip hop, um, hip hop scholars, or you would have hip hop um, experts mm -hmm. who 
to my understanding, didn't seem to grasp hip hop the way that I saw myself engaging with it. Now, this isn't to say that they were wrong or that they were bad or that what they were doing was something that I didn't approve of, but it was really difficult for me to see myself in what they were doing. Uh, And what I mean by see myself, I don't mean just, um, uh, you know, race and class and uh, in, in that sort, in, in that way, but also as a practitioner, I didn't see mm-hmm. folks who were examining hip hop as experts from the perspective of being a practitioner as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And I could, there are all kinds of reasons for that. I mean, if you are uh, a hip hop practitioner, if you're a rap artist who is successful, then your time has been taken up by all of the things that you must do to maintain that career. But my thinking was that there had to be other options as well. I don't want to be signed to a record label. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be beholden to a music industry that is churning out this kind of stuff that I'm not really that interested in making. Is there another thing that I could do to maintain my identity as an artist, but also uh, engage with people who might be interested in the questions and concerns that that, that are raised in the culture? Mm -hmm. And so um, that also was not something that I could do, say, like teaching at a high school, because there were concerns that needed to be addressed in the high school um, context that, uh, well, you know, that, that, that high schools need to do. And, and hip hop would probably be more distracting in that uh, professional sense. You know, I'm thinking very specifically about the ways that um, certain lesson plans or certain engagements with uh, with students might be applauded, but then immediately uh, immediately frowned upon by people in the community who don't understand what hip hop might be doing uh, in or yeah, why why we might be doing a hip hop centered kind of education in, you know, like a certain school district. And rather than that becoming a distraction, how do we become the folks or how might I become the person to whom folks would uh, ask questions about what that might look like in that context so that when folks look at it as a distraction, Mm -hmm. I can talk about how it might be more productive to do that than another kind of engagement. Mm -hmm. So it was really about thinking uh, long term about the ways that I didn't want to have to fight certain battles, these mm-hmm. individual battles uh, about trying to legitimize hip hop in some way mm-hmm. and just do what it is that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way for me to do that would be to go get the degree, whatever I think about the degree, mm-hmm. and then do the work. Uh, because if someone was going to evaluate what I was doing in the classroom, if they were going to consult an expert, if my thinking about those experts held, then it was going to be someone to whom I didn't relate in a way that I felt uh, represented the way, you know, like my thinking on it. Mm-hmm. So I might as well become that person. I might as well actually go out and do that work. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully I can be an advocate for folks who wanted to do the kind of stuff that I was doing on the stage or in a classroom or in uh, scholarship that might appear in certain um, you know, in certain journals or in certain publications. Mm-hmm. Well, that that was fascinating. Yeah. Um, like, so what you're trying to do is sort of bring in the unconventional into the 
maybe the conventional spaces of academia uh, and trying to like open up space for that? Yes, try, trying to open up space so that, um, you know, because in a, in, a, in a very real way, I don't think that getting a doctoral degree changes the way that people perceive rap all that much. Mm -hmm. But if the ways that they value that degree mm -hmm. changes the ways that they have to engage with the person who values hip hop, mm -hmm. then for me, that's worthwhile. Yeah. But I by no means believe that everybody who wants to make rap music or who wants to engage rap music uh, or, you know, engage with hip hop cultural practices uh -huh. needs to get a doctoral degree right. in order <laughs> yeah. to do it. Uh -huh. But I think that, you know, we're in this in this world where folks have certain like there are certain values that are um, uh, ascribed to having this kind of engagement. Yeah. So, you know, there's a way that that I think I've uh in, in other spaces described it as a um a um a bad document identifying the fugitive as a citizen uh following Fred Moten and Stefano Harney um as they talk about um you know these these ideas of the undercommons in that in that text that they wrote uh and I think in uh a very real way that's the that that's how I view the the doctoral degree mm -hmm. yeah. I'm super impressed with your dissertation, which was very unconventional. Um, so you produced a rap album titled "Owning My Masters: The Rhetorics and Rhymes, uh, The Rhetorics of Rhymes and Revolutions." So um, yeah, I'm really impressed with that, and I'm impressed you got it improved, uh, approved, right? So like, how how did you even go about that approval process? Well, uh, I think that uh, again, thinking about. Uh, Fred Moten and uh, Stefano Harney's uh, text, which was really helpful for me to really think about, um, think about the ways that, um, the ways that that universities do business, the ways that we are participating in the business of the university as well, and uh, for a long time, um, I think that I was. I was probably going to do something that was more traditional. But as I said before, when I was in South Carolina and as I mean, if I so if I rewind just a bit when I was at when I started my doctoral degree, the day that I got to campus was um, the week that George Zimmerman was acquitted uh, for killing Trayvon Martin. Um, this was also the the semester i think that fruitvale station that film came out uh jangle jangle unchained had been out mm -hmm. uh you know fairly recently and then 12 years a slave came out and there was there was just like this abundance of media as well as um news stories that got me to thinking about the ways that uh that that bodies and voices uh were consumed and uh, dismissed and destroyed. And so I, I was thinking about those questions and then reading a lot of authors who were, uh, a lot of scholars who were engaging with those, with, with those questions, mm -hmm. as well as consuming a lot of art that was, that was dealing with the same kind of thing. So the stuff that I was writing, the music that I was writing also dealt with those kinds of things. And what I realized in, <clears throat> in writing 
uh, in writing the music, while I'm reading whatever I'm reading for any of these classes, I'm getting closer to what I want to say in the songs than I ever can in any of the essays that I'm having to produce. And at that point, at the end of that first semester, I remember turning in a, a mixtape list. I mean, songs that I wrote over the course of that semester. There may have been, I don't know, anywhere from like 15 to 20 tracks that I wrote in that first term. <clears throat> and the director of the program uh, responded immediately, I mean, at first with, with confusion and then uh, responded favorably and said, yeah, okay, I dig this. That Okay, that I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk more about it. And this is far before I'm having to put together a prospectus and really uh, propose what I want, what I want to do. Um, but as he and I talked more, he said that, well, what we're, what we need to do is go talk with the folks over at the graduate school about how far we can stretch this so that we can, so that we can do a project that you feel comfortable doing. Uh, and that it addresses all of the things that the graduate school needs in order, you know, in order for this to, you know, for, for this to work out. And that was during the time that I was really starting to think about what this proposal looked like. And again, I'm reading a lot of folks who are who are talking about what something like this might look like. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, we got to that point where. Uh, we, you know, we had that conversation and I'd written at that point, the See the Stripes poem was written and the campaign was going on and the campus and not just the campus, you know, like all kinds of folks were, were engaging in this conversation about, about uh, diversity and history and, um, uh, monuments and memorialization right. on campus through the prism of this poem and this campaign that came, uh, that will ultimately ended up being a part of this dissertation. Yeah. And so the easiest way to make the case to the graduate school is to say that this poem inspired this conversation that we're having campus wide. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what more evidence do we need that this kind of work works? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And uh, and I think that that was a compelling case to the folks who were um, who who were in in that meeting. And then um, from there, you know, I, I just kind of moved forward with crafting the specific narrative that uh -huh. uh, that the album uh, tries to take up and the other uh, the other materials that would be included in the archive. That is the the um, the website at um, or the, the dissertation website. Mm -hmm. Um, so what would you say is the argument of your dissertation? And uh, what did the format of a rap album offer that a traditional dissertation fo uh, format doesn't? Um, and along with that, I, th I think you said in another interview that um, like in a, in a regular dissertation, you have annotations and you have references to other people. And you're doing a similar thing with your 34-track um, album dissertation, yeah. right? But it's a different kind of a layering, and, it, and I, I feel that, that the layering in your dissertation does different things. Um, so if you could talk about that a little bit as well. Yeah, so I think that there are, there are a lot of different arguments that are happening there, and that's kind of intentional. So mm -hmm. I think that um, on, the, on the site, there are several questions 
that are that are posed, and some of them are about academic convention and um, and ways that um, that abiding by those conventions um, might perpetuate a kind of marginalization of certain voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also a question about um, a question about uh, about those particular voices and what happens whenever they are uh, severed from their source and disembodied and then recontextualized or reappropriated, you know, like into another context. Uh, and then there's a question about um, the, the changes that we might, um, that we might think about in our academic institutions with regard to the particular product that is a rap album. If we are to look at artists like Nas and Jay-Z as the exemplars. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the unknown Nas's and Jay-Z's who may not have graduated from high school mm-hmm. um, or may not qualify for, um, uh, for admission to any of the academic institutions where there might be like a Nas fellowship or a program named after a famous artist? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what is the legacy, what is the work that those institutions might do to be more receptive to those students mm-hmm. who, um, again, like if, if you're 16-year-old Nas or 17-year-old Nas and you're thinking about going to Harvard, mm-hmm. but you can't get in because you didn't get a high school degree, right. um, it seems to me that that would be a problem that Harvard would want to think about mm-hmm. um, if they are... Want, if they want to be receptive to the new Nas, the next Nas, uh, so to speak. Yeah. And so, th- so that question was also being asked. But then there were questions about how we tell history mm-hmm. and uh, ways that we talk about these uh, theories of history. So, like, I mean, one very particular question is, you know, thinking about the trap of history or the hi- the history that we are trapped in and is trapped in that's trapped in us that um, that uh, – James Baldwin talks about, I believe, in Stranger in the Village, uh, in the trap that uh, Big Boy from Outcast talks about at the end of his verse on uh, what is it, Spotty Uh Dopalicious, uh, from the uh, I probably mispronounced that from um, Spodiody Dopalicious. That's it from uh, Aquemini. Uh, and he says, you know, like you back in the trap, you know, like exactly that trapped um, and uh, trap music. Like when we talk about what trap music is doing or we talk about uh, what is the, you know, sort of the object and the subject, you know, like with regard to um, uh, trap, you know, like rap music study or black uh, black studies, you know, like all of those things uh, are all like this incredibly layered uh set of questions mm-hmm. that we can that we can work with just by looking at one track like familiar from the um from the dissertation album mm-hmm. yeah. and so um i try to take that take up that charge with that song both in the in the the chosen uh delivery method uh the 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 tempo of the song the the way that 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 beat is is um is structured uh, as opposed to say like the, the the song dissertation from from the album, uh, which is doing a different kind of work. Mm-hmm. So when I'm writing familiar, I actually am talking about that trap. The way that uh, the the verses are written is also trying to not just the flow, but that the writing of each verse is trying to repeat 
this thing that is very slightly changed from the first verse to the second verse. Mm -hmm. It's speaking to a history that we're trapped in Mm -hmm. and asking the question if anything has changed as we've moved through the time of the verse, Mm -hmm. as we've moved from the time that, you know, at the beginning of the song, I'm talking about what happens in Virginia uh, when the first enslaved persons are delivered here. Mm -hmm. And the second verse I'm talking about, um, people who are incarcerated, who are recently released. Mm-hmm. And um, and so there, there's a, a complex set of questions that are being asked and it's, you know, happening over the course of, you know, four and a half minutes. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping that folks really sit and deliberate with mm-hmm. that uh, for uh, the amount of time it takes to really like disentangle some of that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully after they get finished with that conversation, they listen again and think about another set of questions that might be there. And I'm hoping that that happens over the course of the album as well. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's quite a bit, I think that can be done with um, each of the 34 songs. Mm-hmm. And um, there are lots of questions that are being asked uh, outside of the ones that are listed there uh, in the site um, that, that we, that, I just didn't have time to articulate for each track. Mm-hmm. My hope would be that as folks inter- interact with the with the album, that they pinpoint some of those questions that come up, and then uh, they ask those to people who are engaging with that album, and then in kind, folks respond with their own music mm-hmm. or with their own lesson plans or with their own videos or whatever else, uh, whatever mm-hmm. other kind of media that they uh, think would be appropriate to to use to respond. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, so I'm thinking a little bit about performance, right? And so mm-hmm. you've you've talked about performing um, rap, um, and I wonder if you could just speak a little bit more about uh, performance and performing your music, and and also what it means to perform within the classroom, right? Yeah. And how do you mm-hmm. see those things uh, together? Okay, so I appreciate that question as well. I think that one of the things that is uh, also um, maybe not that 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 I failed to to um, articulate very often is how the project is also engaging with this very this idea of I mean with the album you get the disembodied you get my disembodied voice mm-hmm. but you also get these other voices that are interacting with it um, but in uh, any you know, like specific situation where I am invited to perform or in the classroom where I am, um, you know, facilitating, uh, I think that there is something there that's happening that is different from someone listening to the album in the same way that when you go to a concert, Mm -hmm. you're getting something different than when you go, uh, you know, like when you listen to uh, an album. So, uh, in my presentations, wherever I might go, I do try to stress the way that this particular performance in this particular context is doing a particular kind of work that's different because it's not another time and not another context, mm-hmm. not another place. And I'm like, my body being in that place changes things, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. which would be different from a listening that is happening whenever I'm not around. Mm -hmm. However, if that listening happened amongst different groups of people, then different work would be being done. So those are questions that we also have to consider Mm -hmm. uh, that music is doing. And this is uh, something that we can think about without even thinking about my project, but Mm -hmm. just thinking about how people experience art or how people experience music. Um, 
so when I'm when I'm teaching, uh, I try to help my students be aware of that as well, mm-hmm. that this is a kind of performance that is going on. And while I might not be rapping, uh, I think I probably rarely rap in my classes mm-hmm. uh, unless I am demonstrating some some something and it's necessary for me to do that uh, through through me rapping, mm-hmm. uh, even in the writing rap class. The the bulk of the rap that's being done in that class is by the students. Um, and it's because they, they're the ones who are writing. I mean, it's just in the same way that if I was teaching, you know, like, a, um, you know, an English composition class, mm-hmm. uh, the students would be doing most of the writing, but, not, yeah. you know, not the instructor. Yeah. So that's the same kind of thing that, that, uh, that happens there. And the, the role of, me as the performer, I think, seems to be something that's on the minds of folks because they know that I'm a rapper. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way that they... So they're experiencing me as their instructor, but they also know that I'm a rapper. And when folks talk to me about teaching, mm-hmm. they know that I'm a rapper. Uh, but I think that the the things that I bring into the, the classroom as a rapper are things that all instructors bring into the classroom um, I might be thinking more about it, um, or I, I might be thinking it might be on my mind because there are times where, like, I slip from like this super performative, like, sort of rap performative mode yeah. into mm-hmm. like sort of a a, a, a professorial performative sure, mode. Sure. Yeah. And I know that that happens whenever I'm doing a performance and I'm on stage, uh, where you know, like, I'll launch into a uh, you know, a rant or a lecture, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is not my classroom. <laughs> and, you know, I have to yeah. reel that back in because mm-hmm. folks, you know, they they came to hear some songs and they didn't want to hear <laughs> about, you know, like the ways that this song, <laughs> you know, like uh, incorporates the voice of, you know, uh, I don't know, like Huey Newton and, and Malcolm X, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like whatever else and, and whatever uh, instrumental might be going on, even though that is a conversation that I would certainly bring up if we are talking about citation mm-hmm. at a conference, sure. then yeah. for sure. Uh-huh. But folks, you know, like they paid the cover charge and they want to hear that song. <laughs> I don't know if they really, really want to hear it. And sometimes they do want to hear it. Uh-huh. But uh but I'm all I'm always navigating that space where I know that I can really just get interested in talking about what was going on when something was recorded. Mm-hmm. And now, I, you know, I've told a 15 minute story and I've got like a 30 minute set. <laughs> and um, and I hope folks don't leave bummed out from that. <laughs> I just try to try to keep myself on task. Um, going off of that, uh, you're the professor of hip hop now at UVA. How do you interpret that incredibly cool sounding title? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, sometimes it feels cool. I think other times it feels corny. <laughs> um, oh, it sounds cool to me. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, well, you know, I think that, the, I mean, I interpret it as being kind of heavy. You know, like that means that for me, it means responsibility mm-hmm. because growing up as a person who loved rap music or who loves rap music, who feels, you know, influenced and inspired by hip hop. And then to be called professor of hip hop, um, it's encouraging because it means that, you know, like my, my desire 
My desires as a kid who was like trying to rhyme uh, ultimately paid off. You know, like folks who might have thought that whenever I was in class writing rhymes, you know, I was wasting my time or wasting my teacher's time. Um, you know, I can I can turn back and say, no, I was doing the right thing. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing in order to be right here. But my hope is also that um, that you know, like the institutions. Uh, not just universities, but like folks open their 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 minds up to think about what um, to think about what hip hop is doing uh, in in many spheres, so that it doesn't become uh, or so that like being being professor of hip hop is not a thing that is the noteworthy thing. Mm-hmm. That hip hop is a way that we that that folks choose to engage the world as folks have been choosing to uh, for a really long time. But uh, then being a professor of hip hop makes sense because hip hop is, um, you know, like produces the most consumed music in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if that's the case, mm-hmm. then, of course, we should have professors of hip hop. Right everywhere. And of course we should have hip hop in our classrooms. And of course our high schools should be utilizing uh, ways of making that, um, that engage hip hop. Mm -hmm. And then when we talk about who we need to consult, whenever there is a question about hip hop, Mm -hmm. there are many people that you can consult and it's not all resting on the shoulders of one person who has gotten this, um, um, faux validation from, an institution because they gave that person a PhD in exchange for some music. Mm -hmm. But there are multiple people who are able to give you multiple perspectives. And it's because those people are uh, able to articulate that through their, uh, their lived uh, experience and their uh, artistic uh, and scholarly practice. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we see that as completely uh, ordinary, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, the ways that we're encouraged to see it as extraordinary currently. Mm-hmm. So would you say that being a graduate student and now a professor has changed your music? And if so, how? Yeah, it has. <laughs> um, well, you know, like as a graduate student, I think that you're just like in a, you're in a consumption mode that is unlike anything that yeah. you've ever been through. And I know that I, I showed up to to graduate school as a person who loved reading mm-hmm. and still felt like we're overdoing it <laughs> by a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and, you know, like, so then you get to the point now where you, you read something and you're like, I'm pretty sure how this argument goes, right. you know, yeah. like I can, I see the pattern here. And um, so as a graduate student, maybe I lost my love for reading <laughs> um, because it felt like a job. You know, it really felt like this, right. you know, like this, this huge undertaking. And I try to give myself, I tr- and even like with music, I mean, I'm critical in a different way about music than I was uh, before I started grad school. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I try to, I try to find the joy in it all, mm-hmm. really like try to, try to shift that. I've, I've tried to shift it on this side because I have, I think that I do have the luxury now to do that. Mm-hmm. And so the stuff that I'm making, um, I want it to be something that folks can, um, can get something from 
that is productive, but that they can also that they can also like that that they can listen to it. But I, I do I know that I try to um, I think discomfort is really productive, mm-hmm. um, particularly in certain kinds of performances or certain kinds of yeah. listenings. And so I don't shy away from that in ways that I may have previously, where I thought that saying this or doing this on this song is going to make people so uncomfortable or is going to make listeners feel like uh, in feel feel such a way that they're never going to listen to it again. Uh, I try to uh, clear my mind of those kinds of thoughts so that when I want to make something, I make it and then I can decide later if I am going to release it to folks. I mean, I was working on something earlier today. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I really don't know what I'm going to do with it. One of the students over in the rap lab was like, so are you going to put this out? And I'm like, we'll decide once it's, we'll decide once it's finished, once it's outside of me, then we'll decide. But that was a practice that I kept up while I was at Clemson. And the reason that I kept up that practice was because I felt so uncomfortable there Mm -hmm. and it was really difficult to write, um, particularly to write academic prose that would um that would really get at the discomfort that I felt. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was really like in the tone of my voice, my recorded voice, um, and then hearing it back mm-hmm. helped me realize that I, you know, that that I did convey what I wanted to in this yeah. way. Mm-hmm. And there was no way to do that with uh, you know, with uh typed prose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um so your YouTube videos, which have had the hundreds of thousands of views, um, there are evidence that you're, uh, as a scholar, your work has uh, had kind of a public appeal that most scholarly work fails to achieve or isn't really interested in in the first place. Um, as part of a public humanities lab, we're very interested in learning how you see this interaction or, or conversation between your work and the larger public beyond the academia. Um, also, how does this play into your teaching within um, the classroom? Yeah, that's a great question. I I really, I mean, I always thought, I mean, there there are folks who I bring into into my work, um, and into my classroom every day. You know, folks like my, um, my brothers and sisters, my grandmothers, my um, my mother, and um, and I think that the the questions that that we're engaging as scholars. Um, are oftentimes affecting those folks who I bring into those spaces or who we bring into the spaces. So when we think about advocating for certain folks or when we think about how our work is going to have an impact in certain fields, you know, like there are people who we think about that we can, we can visualize mm-hmm. uh, who, might, who might be impacted. And, you know, we might think that like a rap song is not going to help my grandmother. But, you know, if I think about the ways that, you know, there's like a song on the uh, on the dissertation album called um, um, Documented, uh, and it's uh, about the the death of the the narrator who is um, sort of speaking, speaking to the conditions that create the circumstance Mm -hmm. of him being taken away from his family. 
that question or that circumstance certainly affects mothers and grandmothers and mm-hmm. brothers and sisters and fathers uh, and daughters and sons. Um, and so I'm I'm more concerned with being able to have that engagement with communities, being mm-hmm. able to bring those concerns to folks who might be able to take that song and then play it for someone else yeah. who might not be able to get the concern like through the way that they articulated uh, whenever they're talking about uh, this, the persistence of this particular issue. Mm-hmm. Or say like the See the Stripes poem, the way that uh, if we use this metaphor to talk about slavery, sharecropping, and com- convict labor as um, the, the, the aspects of a history that a university refuses to see, mm-hmm. while that university uses a metaphor um, of a solid orange tiger, which only exists in fantasy, right. then it's a productive way for an entire community to talk, mm-hmm. about, um, to talk about its public practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then ways that we can uh, think through um, being a better community, mm-hmm. all, all stemming from that, uh, that piece of scholarship that is art. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's incredibly important work so that uh, we, we move from just creating stuff for a conversation with the few people who might be interested in the conversation that we're having in the language that we choose to have it in a particular discipline. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think I've always been more interested in that uh, than I have been in doing the very particular thing or being a part of elite, an elite club of people who have the language to be able to talk about mm-hmm. this very specific thing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm less interested in, um, in being part of some kind of elite club mm-hmm. um, that, that discusses these important problems and then solves them for the rest of the world than I am um, putting the questions out there so that we can all engage in ways that are uh, productive and that we can... Um, potentially uh that w- that we can use outside of you know like the the the, the walls of of the academy mm-hmm. yeah. now this kind of gets at um another question i'm taking this in a slightly different direction um so you arrived in charlottesville uh last year right after the uh unite the right rally on august 12 2017 mm-hmm. this was a traumatic weekend for all of us in charlottesville um would you mind talking about your own experiences as a new professor here, especially in light of your own work? Yeah, well, actually, I got here on the, mm, let's see, I think I graduated on the 13th of, I want to say May, mm-hmm. and then got here on the 15th. And so I was here, I was here during the yeah. the the rally and I was present downtown uh, because on the 11th, I tried to attend the the, the, the church service yeah. and um, was, was outside walking, um, walking down the lawn uh, back to the vehicle, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes before the folks showed up with the tiki torches and I was asked to speak at the, at a peace rally, a peace march, the, on the 12th. And I really, you know, I I mean, I have to admit that I was uh, apprehensive about it because I thought, you know, I'm not from here. I just moved here. I've been here a couple months, but I don't really know people. Um, And while 
the the questions uh, about you know like this kind of public memorialization and, and racism and white supremacy certainly moved through the work that I've been creating and the kind of um, I guess if you want to call it advocacy that I've that that I've been doing uh, that there are other people who um, who could speak to the the issues you know right here but then being out there that night uh, I thought. Yeah, maybe maybe I should say something. You know, I'm going to be living here. Um, I I shouldn't shy away from um, saying saying what I can say, what I what I know to say. And so the piece that I read the morning of the 12th is uh, is also on that uh, that album. It's called "Good Morning America." Hmm. Um, and you know, it was really early in the morning. I don't know. Maybe it was nine o'clock. And uh, we did that, and and I remember feeling after that after that er, that morning portion had finished, and folks had dispersed to go wherever else they were going, and it seemed kind of peaceful. I was thinking like, oh yeah, this is not as bad as folks um, predicted it would be, and I went with a friend for coffee, and then another friend called. And said, you need to get back over here. It's really bad out here. And showing up and just the the, the terrifying, uh, it's not like just like the visual, but you know, like the the the, the smoke that's hanging in the air, the the, the inability to distinguish police officers from uh, militia people mm-hmm. not knowing who's here to do me harm and who's here to make sure nothing happens to mm-hmm. to me yeah. or uh, that people don't get harmed. Mm-hmm. And feeling more and more like um, this is not where America is headed. This mm-hmm. is America right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is the town where I live. And um, just kind of feeling like, uh, of course, there's much work to be done. But what do we do right now, now mm-hmm. that we're here? Um, and uh, knowing that there is not, you know, because lots of folks said, well, you know, you seem you move from from South Carolina to here. So you seem to just like, you know, choose badly. And uh, and my response to that was, I don't know that there's a place in this country that you could move to where uh, there isn't some element of this, mm-hmm. you know, that this is who this country is. This is what this country is. And the way that it breaks out, you know, if we were to use use a metaphor to speak about it, it's kind of like, you know, like an entire body being uh, uh, being filled with um you know, maybe we could call it a disease, mm-hmm. uh, and then like like flare ups. You know, like um, like being in different parts of the body, and mm-hmm. America is dealing with this uh, with this sickness throughout all of it. In certain places, you have these flare ups, and then folks go there and they try to deal with those symptoms, and you know, like they apply whatever needs to be applied mm-hmm. in that particular place, but then do nothing about the root causes of the ailment of the disease. Mm-hmm. And because no one is looking at 
where the disease comes from or how they might cure that, then they are just waiting for the next flare up so they can apply the exact same thing that they apply in all of those other places. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I thought and I think that, you know, my work was to try to find a way to describe this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did. um Right from the time that I uh, that I got here until um, the beginning of that first semester that I was teaching a project that uh, conceptually picks up exactly where the dissertation leaves off uh, and still envisioning Ralph Ellison's um, uh, prologue to Invisible Man, you know, like that underground space as like the the the, the place where we're kind of like theorizing from. Um, and so the name of that project is. Uh, Sleepwalking Volume One, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, making reference to the um, the quote from that from that uh, prologue that says, you know, the most dangerous thing in the world, you know, like our sleepwalkers, um, yeah. and um, not to try to indicate whether you know, like I uh, I or you know other citizens of Charlottesville might be the sleepwalkers, but mm-hmm. to say that sleepwalking is going on regardless of who's doing it, and the people who are doing it mm-hmm. uh, are a great danger to us all. Um, so that was also the framework through, or the 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 yeah, I guess the frame through which I saw. Um, my the the work of my teaching was to think about the language that we uh, that we might utilize to describe what we are currently going through. So ways that we don't try to excuse ourselves uh, from what happened here in Charlottesville by telling ourselves that this is not who we are, mm-hmm. uh, but ways that we can acknowledge this being who we are, but then try to imagine together uh, what we might be, what we can be, what we should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I take that charge seriously, and I think that it's still with me. So just because we are you know, a year and some change away from it doesn't mean that I've approached being in the classroom any differently. Mm-hmm. I would love to think that my engagement and that my practice before that date was also um, focused on that work. I would hope that it was, but I think that this brought it into focus in a way that um, that that I'm sure wasn't previously there because it was uh, it was so close and it was uh, so in my mind so important for us to be able to really think through uh, what we might do given you know like the the, the current uh, landscape. Um, speaking of language, uh, in the words of another UVA professor, language can either knit communities together or tear them apart. And you've stressed repeatedly uh, the importance uh, of having conversations, uh, of getting conversations going about issues that are difficult to talk about. Um, so how can we as students in the humanities help initiate these kinds of conversations, both within and beyond the university? Well, I think that it's important for me, I mean, I'm constantly evaluating my relationship to language in particular conversations and encouraging uh, encouraging my students to do the same thing so that when when a certain thing happens in language, and, and I think that many of us have felt it, where something is said and our um, inclination is to deny or defend um how we feel 
um, charged by that particular thing that is said. Mm -hmm. um, so if someone is telling me the ways that, um, you know, like the ways that professors bully students, mm -hmm. and as a professor, I mean, my identity as a professor is wrapped up in like saying, well, not all professors mm -hmm. or something like that. And rather than do that, mm -hmm. ask, okay, well, well, what do you mean? How does that happen? You know, could you explain mm -hmm. more, please? You know, like rather mm -hmm. than saying, well, some professors are just, or you don't know what professors go through right. or, you know, like yeah. any of the, and, and we can think about that from a number of perspectives. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I think that, that evaluating that, that relationship to, uh, not just the things that are said that that come across to us like as accusations, mm -hmm. but the ways that we might deploy language, the ways that we that, that we choose to engage in language that might be doing folks harm. Mm -hmm. um, in the ways that that you know we think about like uh, creating community mm -hmm. and how those communities can be created through um, through engaging uh, in language. I think that thinking about that is incredibly important work. I think also um, really, you know, I don't think that all of the, you know, all of the problems will be, uh, excuse me, will be uh, like, will, will be worked through only by conversations. Actually, I don't think most of our problems will be worked through simply mm -hmm. by conversation. I think conversation is a, a starting point, and mm -hmm. I think that it becomes the ending point for a lot of folks mm -hmm. who are not interested in doing the work or not seeing the work get done. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, like, I also try to caution there, or try to issue caution there, to say. Uh, conversation is a good starting point, you know, and initiating conversation is a good thing, but I don't want anybody to believe that because we had mm -hmm. a conversation about, uh, you know, like, uh, inequality, or we had a conversation about race and racism, that, uh, the conversation about race and racism, like mm -hmm. actually was the thing. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what happens after that conversation? Mm -hmm. What does having this, uh, th this engagement in language, um, do to help us move to the other action. Mm -hmm. I mean, the conversation is an action. Right. The utterances are actions. But mm -hmm. what are the other things that go along with that that move us to and through the you know transformative mm -hmm. process? And um, and I think that um, insisting on that whenever it does come up, mm -hmm. I don't have a problem um, most often with a conversation, but I do want to know what the conversation is a precursor to. Right. Yeah. And um, so long as it is the beginning mm -hmm. and not seen as the end, yeah. so long as everybody expressed their feelings, mm -hmm. then, you know, like we've solved it, um, then we're good. And I think that in the classroom, that's also the charge that I leave, uh, that I leave students with, mm -hmm. that we're talking about this here so that we might be different out in the world, mm -hmm. so that we might be uh, receptive and, uh, you know, like, uh, and perceptive whenever we go out into the world, so that we might act differently, we may think differently, we may engage differently whenever we're out in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's going to remain just a conversation that we had mm -hmm. in the classroom, then we've all failed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think you've given us a lot of food for thought here. It's been really mm-hmm. wonderful. We have one final question. We always ask all right. of our guests um, what your current um, literature or music uh, recommendation for curious uh, listeners would be. All right. Well, I just did a project called Sleepwalking 2 that I would mm-hmm. hope people would listen to. Uh, but other stuff, I was, I've was i been listening to this uh, Saba Care For Me album. I think that uh, that's pretty dope and people should listen to it. Yeah. Um, and let's see what else is out here. There's so, so, so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, uh, an album called, um, short stories. It's on, it's on SoundCloud by mm-hmm. an artist, uh, by the name of truth short mm-hmm. stories. I think that if you, uh, probably type in truth and then hashtag short stories. It'll mm-hmm. come up. But I think he's an incredible artist and people should listen to his work. Great. Yeah, we will we'll put those recommendations up on the website. Word. So, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, A.D. You um, have a website as well, uh, A.D. The Great. That's A-Y-D-E-E, uh, thegreat.com. Um, so our listeners can, can catch your stuff there as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, can our listeners get in touch with you if they have questions? Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, There's a contact uh, button on the website. Perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And thanks to our listeners. For those of you who want more information or would like to subscribe to our podcast channel, please visit our website at www.circulatingspaces.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and stay tuned for our next episode. And again, thank you, A.D. Um, Until next time. But before you leave, here's Trapped by A.D. Carson. Enjoy! Yes, yes. Midwest wind. Midwest wind. Choke the Yeah. We want to They got me trapped I'm only trying to do right I'm driving in my mirror See the red, white, and blue lights And just have to consider As I pull off to the shoulder of the street If I really broke any laws Or if it's more to do with me Having the blood of a slave Fueling the heart of a king And the temperament to make sure That this officer sees Me as a citizen, a denizen Cause this is my home No search and seizure Even believing when you're in Rome You live like Romans When you're American and you're black And try to exercise your rights You find a foot in your back That's if you're lucky And if you're not, you're dead on the spot That's literally and a metaphor, the weather is hot And you ain't got much control They want you sweating and scared And that yeah. pistol that I got papers for That's sitting right there inside yeah. the dash I wonder if that's about to ignite it As the officer asked for registration, insurance, and license They got us trapped huh. Nah, they can't keep the black man Yo, down they got me trapped Uh-uh, they can't keep the, the black man down the yeah. We want to Hey yo, hey yo, rest in peace to Trayvon and Michael Brown. We kill and get away, how you like us now? It's what they bastards say as they ride around. They took his breath away as they pried him down. Let's give a ton of fame to the ones who bangin'. Million dollar contracts and they can train them. Yo, young and move that dope, niggas stop complaining. 
Shooting up the block with improper aiming. Sometimes I feel like that Obama left us hanging. Inauguration, he said we changing. Instead, I see discrimination as I'm gaining. They'd rather work with people like them. I can't blame them. Officers and in the streets, they restraining. Aiming it on Fox TV instead of hanging. You smart, probably let me go G. Or keep me cooped up in this ghetto and catch the Uzi. They got me trapped. Nah, they can't keep the black man down. They got us trapped. Uh-huh, they can't keep the black man down. We want an immediate end to the police brutality yeah. and politics against the so-called Negro. There should be a class on police brutality. There should be a class on apartheid. There should be a class on racism in America. 